Chapter Six of Phantoms of Reality by Ray Cummings. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The King's Henchman. The long room was bathed in colored lights. There was an ornate tiled floor. Barbaric draperies of heavy fabric shrouded the archways and windows. It was a totally barbaric apartment. It might have been the audience chamber of some fabled eastern prince of our early ages. Yet not quite that either. There was a primitive modernity here. I could not define it, could not tell why I felt this strangeness. Perhaps it was the aspect of the people. The room was crowded with men and gay, laughing girls in fancy dress costumes. Half of them, at least, were shrouded in crimson cloaks, but most of the hoods were back. They moved about, laughing and talking, evidently waiting for the time to come for them to go to the festival. We pushed our way through them. Derek murmured, Keep your hood up, Charlie. A girl plucked at me. Handsome man, let me see. She thrust her painted lips up to mine as though daring me to kiss them. Hope shoved her away. Her parted cloak showed her white, beautiful body with the dark tresses of hair shrouding it. Exotically lovely she was, with primitive, unrestrained passions typical of the land in which she lived. This way, whispered Hope, keep close together, do not speak. We moved forward and stood quietly against the wall of the room, where great curtains hid us partly from view. Under a canopy, at a table on a raised platform near one end of the apartment, sat the youthful monarch. I saw him as a man of perhaps thirty. He was in holiday garb, robed in silken hose of red and white, a strangely fashioned doublet and a close-fitting shirt, bareheaded, with thick black hair, long to the base of his neck. He sat at the table with a calm dignity, but he relaxed here in the presence of his favorite courtiers. He was evidently in a high good humor this night, giving directions for the staging of the spectacle, dispatching messengers. I stood gazing at him. A very kingly fellow, this. There was about him that strange mingled look of barbarism and modernity. Hope approached him and knelt. Derek and I could hear their voices, although the babble of the crowd went on. My little Hope, what is it? Stand up, child. She said, Your Highness, a message from Blanca. He laughed. Say no more. I know it already. She does not want this festival. The workers. What a world of sardonic contempt he put into that one word. The workers will be offended because we take pleasure tonight. Bah! But he was still laughing. Say no more, little Hope. Tell Blanca to dance and sing her best this night. I am making my choice. Did you know that? Hope was silent. He repeated, Did you know that? Yes, Your Highness, she murmured. I choose our queen tonight, child. Blanca or Sensua, he sighed. Both are very beautiful. Do you know which one I am going to choose? No, she said. Nor do I, little Hope, nor do I. He dismissed her. Go now, don't bother me. She parted her lips as though to make another protest, but his eyes suddenly flashed. I would not have you annoy me again, do you understand? She turned away. 
back toward where Derek and I were lurking. The chattering crowd in the room had paid no attention to Hope, but before she could reach us, a man detached himself from a nearby group and accosted her. A commanding figure he was, I think quite the largest man in the room, an inch or two taller than Derek, at least. He wore his red cloak, with the hood thrown back upon his wide, heavy shoulders. A bullet head with close-clipped black hair, a man of about the king's age, he had a face of heavy features and flashing dark eyes. A scoundrel adventurer, this king's henchman. Hope said, What is it, Robar? You will join our party, little Hope. He laid a heavy hand on her white arm. His face was turned toward me. I could not miss the gleaming look in his eyes as he regarded her. No, she said. It seemed that he twitched at her, but she broke away from him. Anger crossed his face, but the desirous look in his eyes remained. You are very bold, Hope, to spurn me like this. He had lowered his voice as though fearful that the king might hear him. Let me alone, she said. She darted away from him, but before she joined us, she stood waiting until he turned away. No use, Hope whispered. There is nothing we can do here. You heard what the king said and the festival is already begun. Derek stood a moment, lost in thought. He was gazing across the room to where Robar was standing with a group of girls. He said at last, Come on, Charlie. We'll watch this festival. This damn fool king will choose the Red Sensua, he shrugged. There will be chaos. We shoved our way from the room, went out of the main doorway, and hurried through the gardens of the palace. The red-cloaked figures were leaving the building now for the festival grounds. We waited for a group of them to pass so that we might walk alone. As we neared the gate, passing through the shadows of high-flowered shrubs, a vague feeling that we were being followed shot through me. In a moment there was so much to see that I forgot it, but I held my hand on my dirk and moved closer to hope. We reached the entrance to the canopy. A group of girls, red-cloaked, were just coming out. They rushed past us. They ran, discarding their cloaks. Their white bodies gleamed under the colored lights as they rushed to the pool and dove. We were just in time, Hope whispered. The king will be here any moment. Beneath the canopy was a broad arena of seats. A platform, like a stage, was at one end. It was brilliantly illuminated with colored torches held aloft by girls in flowing robes, each standing like a statue with her light held high. The place was crowded. In the gloom of the darkened auditorium, we found seats off to one side, near the open edge of the canopy. We sat, with hope between us. Derek whispered, Shakespeare might have staged a play in a fashion like this. A primitive theatrical performance. There was no curtain for interlude between what might have been the acts of a vaudeville. The torch girls, like pages, ranged themselves in a line across the front of the stage. They were standing there as we took our seats. The vivid glare of their torches concealed the stage behind them. There was a few moments' wait, then, amid hushed silence, the king with his retinue came in. 
he sat in a canopied box off to one side. When he was seated, he raised his arm, and the buzz of conversation in the audience began again. Presently, the page girls moved aside from the stage. The buzz of the audience was stilted. The performance, destined to end so soon in tragedy, now began. End of chapter 6